Well, hello, all you ravenous Red River Hogs out there. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about conservation, sustainability, and nature. I'm one of your hosts, Casey. And I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Welcome back. Another week. Here we another are. Another week talking about naturey things <laughs> for a shorter amount of time than a normal amount of time for this <laughs> podcast. This is another mini sode, friends. Yes. We're getting back from vacation mode. We promise we're going to get back into full episodes pretty soon here, but it makes it a little easier on everybody because it takes a lot of research turns out to do a podcast research time all of the things editing but hopefully this gives you some variety as well so we know there are some folks out there that prefer the longer episodes so you can enjoy our our typical weekly episodes and for those of you that prefer the shorter episodes hopefully you're enjoying these mini-sodes and if you have a preference between one or the other tell us you can let us know yeah so we can plan a little better for the future and you know, readjust our formatting as needed and all of that yeah. good stuff. Yep. We're talking about that. We're, uh, we're also always interested in the topics that you guys are interested in. So we've got a whole list of things that we might talk about, but if there's something that you're like, I need to know what's going on with this, like, let us know. And we would be happy to research that. We'll sort of do thing. some research. We'll do our best because we're not experts. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you're not familiar with us, Sarah and I have worked in conservation education and that's sort of our background in what makes us, uh, I don't want to say qualified necessarily because you are always learning, but we do have a background in conservation and education and talking about things related to these subjects. So welcome. We recommend if you've not listened to our podcast before, you might want to hit that first introductions episode because mm-hmm. we talk about our background a little bit or just choose a topic and choose one that sounds interesting and dive in. Yeah. Jump around. Uh, Casey, how are you doing this week? I am doing pretty well. It is a little cooler here than it has been the last couple of weeks. Um, so that has definitely made me a little bit less miserable when I'm outdoors (laughs) and I've been making sure to get my two hours of outdoor activity. Good. So yes. Um, part of it is just by necessity. We used to have a fenced in backyard and we used to just Mm. open the door and let ginger Mm -hmm. run. And now (laughs) we don't have a fenced in backyard living with my dad. So I'm spending a lot of time watching my dog decide whether or not she wants to use the bathroom, but mostly try and smell all the wildlife around. But I have seen actually lots of wildlife. We have white-tailed deer in our backyard. I saw a pileated woodpecker the other day, great blue herons, all sorts of cool stuff because we've got pond and woods and stuff. So, um, so the wildlife viewing has been pretty good. What about you, Sarah? How's it going? Oh, I am not getting my outdoor time in. First of all, let me just say that I've sort of lost I have not been keeping myself accountable. I've not been sort of tracking, but I know I have not been getting my outdoor time in. I was, you know, out of town for a couple of weeks, spent a couple of days driving. uh, So in the car for, you know, eight hour plus days. And so now I'm just adjusting to being back home where I sort of simultaneously feel like I've never left and then I've been gone forever. So appreciate your patience again, everybody, as we do another mini-sode this week as I get back in the groove of things. 
Well, Sarah, what are we talking about this week? So this week I have just a couple of things on, on a previous episode. So again, if you're newer with us, you might want to go listen to our plastics 101 episode. We talked just about plastics in general and touched a little bit on why you hear so much about plastics in the news and in uh, the environmental field, what the issues are with plastics, and a little bit about recycling as well, and some of the challenges with recycling in general, in particular with recycling plastics. So there have been a few things that have popped up since we did that episode that I thought would be kind of interesting to mention. And the first of that is, this is not particularly timely anymore. This has happened over the past um, several weeks and even uh, maybe a little over a month ago now. Um, But Maine, and then more recently, I think just a couple of weeks ago, maybe at the time that we're recording this, Oregon as well, both passed extended producer responsibility laws dealing with packaging. Casey, are you familiar with extended producer responsibility or EPR at all? Uh, Yes, I think so. This is where basically we talked about it a little bit where in the past activists have done waste surveys, finding packaging and um, basically reporting like, Hey, top 10 brands that are polluting the ocean because this is what we find out there and what extended producer responsibility does is basically makes the producer like brands like coca-cola nestle pepsi Mm -hmm. etc responsible for the waste product that does end up in the ocean right and i don't know how this works though can you explain how these particular laws are working well i'll try to explain uh, at least briefly i feel like there's a lot of detail and nuance that i i don't understand just sort of not being from that world but yeah I'll try to explain them uh, at least on a basic level and and yeah what you what you said is exactly right what's interesting is so we have so extended producer responsibility again it's referred to as EPR we have EPR laws for different types of materials in the United States existing. Um, One article that I was reading said that the United States currently has 120 EPR programs covering 14 different categories of materials. And these are found across 33 states plus Washington, DC. When we talk about different categories, these are things like we might have EPR laws in place for the disposal of say paint or products containing mercury, or electronics waste. I believe California has EPR in place for like mattresses. So we have some of these things, but until these recent laws that were passed in Maine and Oregon, this is our first packaging EPR in the United States. But this is actually something that is already fairly common across Canada in Europe and as well as several countries in in Asia. I think a couple of countries in Africa as well. Australia, I believe, also has plastics EPR laws already in place. So it's exciting that we're finally getting some in the United States. And I think there are several other states that have potential, have proposals uh, on the books as well coming from this. But basically, the idea behind extended producer responsibility laws are that they shift the responsibility from the consumer to the producer. So 
with packaging, these packaging laws in particular, the hope is that this is going to increase the recycling rates for these materials and save money for the taxpayers. So generally how this works is companies are going to be charged for based on the like amount and type of packaging that they sell to consumers in the given area. So Maine or Oregon or whatever. So they're going to be charged based on the type and, and amount of materials. This money basically goes to the participating municipalities to help cover the cost for the infrastructure to dispose of these materials, to educate the public about how to dispose of these materials and to increase access for people. So it's not banning any organization from using any particular type of material. Interestingly, municipalities are also not required to participate. So they can choose whether or not they want to participate, but they don't get compensated if they don't participate. So basically this is charging the producers to help develop the infrastructure needed to dispose of these materials. So that's going to incentivize these organizations to produce materials that are more easily and responsibly disposed of. Does that make sense? Is kind of how they work generally? It Well, it does. You know, it, it reminds me, this, this seems different than what I kind of thought about of like basically like buyback programs. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like where you look at the can and it's like, oh, in these States you can get five cents for giving it back. Mm -hmm. And basically it incentivizes people to recycle. Um, and in some places, I think Coca-Cola had this as like sort of the mainstay in Tanzania for a while where you basically would take it back to a Coke area and they would buy back the glass bottle, for example, so that it can be cleaned and then refilled and resold. And you got basically a deposit back. This sounds different than that. This sounds like it's instead of changing the, the type of material, maybe necessarily is like reducing maybe the weight or, or things like that. I'm sure it's very complicated. It could be. Yeah. And then that's the, the idea that I get behind it is there are a lot of a lot of ways that this could take shape. So basically it's going to be a few years sure. still before this is actually in place in these states. So they have to go through a whole process of like setting up a committee and organizing the rules and what are the materials and all of that kind of thing. Um, but I think that they can look differently just depending on how it's set up in each individual state. It sounds like this is a really interesting like combination of you know, in the 60s and 70s, there was the litter bug campaign, which basically shifted the idea that the packaging is now the consumer's responsibility. And when you throw something oh, like on the ground, you're a litter bug and that's bad rather than focusing on the company's responsibility right. for creating it in the first place. This sounds like it's almost like a combination. Like it's not saying you don't have responsibility because they're going with education efforts for how to properly dispose of the waste. Um, but it's also pressuring those companies to reduce the amount of waste that they produce at the same. I, yeah. it sounds like a really good marriage of, of all, all you need all stakeholders involved. Like we right. can't, we can't completely absolve the consumer of the responsibility of, of trying to make sure that the thing that they have brought into their lives is then given to the right place to make sure that, right. that it's properly disposed of, but also like reducing the need for 
like the complex knowledge that we talked about with recycling right. where like, I feel like I know how to recycle and then completely like yeah. <laughs> destroys like it, it, because the systems change depending on where you're from and depending on the material and the day of the week sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's not clear. I can't remember if I talked about this in our plastics episode or not, but even with my own curbside recycling and I, I know a little bit about what is and is not recyclable just from my own research that I've done, but I looked at my bin and it's got, you know, a sticker on the lid and, and all that. And I'm like, oh, good. But then I look at what it actually says and it's the most general. It's not specific at all when it talks about what materials, the amount of digging online that I had to do to even find where my recycling service said that they only take plastics one and two was ridiculous. And I was like, I mean, I knew that anyway, or knew that that was almost definitely the case anyway. But the fact that it was so hard to find, like, we wonder why our recycling's contaminated. Like, it's just, it's very hard in a lot of places for the consumers to know what to do. So I love this. I loved reading about these. I would like to read more about them in terms of success rates of other places that have already had these EPR laws in place for packaging. In particular, I would love to read a little bit more about what that's looked like and what the success rate is. So again, if you're listening from one of those places, and this is something that you're familiar with, goodness gracious, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Um, But I'm going to be doing a little more reading on that myself too. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So the recycling story I have right now is I work for a small business and I actually just recently like helped change our trash schedule and stuff like that. When you work in a small business, you kind of have to know every part of the small business in a lot of ways. And so, um, I had to call our trash service partially because one of our employees saw the trash company, put the trash and the recycling dumpsters into the same truck. Mm -hmm. And that was like, not what we wanted. So I called them up and they're a fall small family owned trash company. And basically one of their trucks got into a accident and they weren't able to send two, two separate trucks out. And so they ended up for a month putting everything in one thing. So even though we were trying to separate and I will say, we've got some training to do as far as like people understanding, like when, when you get an item at a store, even if it doesn't have packaging, it came in packaging to that store, um, almost exclusively. Like if it wasn't like driven down the road, like it came wrapped in basically saran wrap so that it is a waterproof. It came in several layers of boxes with bubble wrap and like so little of it is recyclable. So I'm really interested to see yeah, how these end up. We're not just talking about plastic bottles. Maybe we're also talking about a lot of different classes of packaging. So it'd be, yeah, I'm really interested to see this implemented a little bit more. Yeah. And again, I think one of the goals of this type of law is to get companies to start using more easily disposable packaging. So we know that not all types of plastic are readily able to be recycled, and that does lead to a lot of contamination. So I think that's one of the hopes of a setup like this is that you are going to reduce your recycling contamination in that way, just because they're going to use materials that are a little more streamlined. 
But the next thing that I, Casey, I've been so excited to talk about this. Sarah keeps we- texting me <laughs> being like, I don't know if I can do it, but I am going to do the next one about yeah. th- this. So yeah. tell so us, Sarah. There is now in development, a company that is working on developing an in-home appliance for you to recycle materials in your house, like a washer, a dryer, a dishwasher, and an in-home recycler. I, it's crazy. I don't even know. I'm not talking about this because I'm endorsing the product. I don't know enough about the business side of it. I'm sure that there are going to be people that are looking to tear holes in this, but I'm just thinking positively. I'm thinking optimistically. How cool would that be if we could get a device that would reliably do? So this, essentially they are trying to eliminate this contamination impact. So they are saying that this device is going to be able to, like, if you try to put something in there that is not an accepted material, it's just not going to take it. It's not going to allow it to be recycled. And they, so this is called Lasso Lasso Loop. If you want to look it up, lassoloop.com, you can go and read about this yourself. But so they're saying initially the first iteration of this appliance is going to accept plastics. Again, only types one and two. So it's not going to take those other plastics. It's not going to help with that problem. What it's going to help with is reduce the plastic contamination that we know is so prevalent in our recycling systems. So I have a question. Yes. I am envisioning like I'm in the Jetsons because that's yes. the only future I can For imagine. Sure. Yeah, I'm in the Jetsons and I'm, you know, Jane and yeah. I'm throwing, <laughs> have a plastic bottle and I toss it into my little machine and it goes boop, 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 and then it spits out like a block of plastic. That's not what this machine is doing, right? Not exactly, but I don't think you're too far off either Okay, (laughs) uh, because I do, well, I do think that basically it's going to mash it down. So it's going to have a storage compartment. So yeah, it's not like putting out some other like product or material for you to use. It's going to have a storage compartment. I can't remember. You can find all of the the details on the website. I think they were saying, depending on how much you use in the size of your household and all that, you might put your materials out for collection like three to eight times per year. Maybe it was three to five times per year or something like that. Um, So it's not like putting out your weekly bin, but they're going to have a couple of different options in place where you can just set this thing out at your curbside for pickup, or they would have drop-off sites where you could take it once your storage bin in your unit is full. And it's not like a melter. It's just like a crusher. I think so. I don't know. (laughs) But it's going to have that built-in storage unit. And so the idea is that this is going to be a closed loop system. So when we talked a little about recycling, we talked about how oftentimes plastics, again, in particular, are downcycled. So they have a a limited life. What I'm gathering the idea is here is that if you have a non-contaminated with these types one and two plastic, you can basically get those materials back into an item of similar value or whatever. So this is a closed loop, continuous system, basically, which again, I think is really cool. So 
the the first iteration is uh, that they're hoping will start going into homes in 2023 would take these number one and number two plastics glass and metal okay and then if that does well then they can use basically the profits from that those devices to produce the next line which will add in plastic film that would be and cardboard yeah right think i mean talking about packaging if we had something that we could in-home recycle plastic film i mean like you can recycle plastic film at a lot of grocery stores Mm -hmm. and things like that um which i often just don't even think about right i'm mostly used to collect my cat poop Mm -hmm. um but like that's something that curbside doesn't take so that's super cool that you would be able to then recycle more than just like to me I feel like some people will be like well if I'm good at recycling right why would I pay for an appliance if I can just get it picked up on the curb but if you could do some alternative stuff also if you could potentially have this be valuable enough for resale that like you recycled something and all of a sudden your plastic block is worth 10 bucks exactly And again, I think that is the idea that eventually you would start getting basically cash back future down the line. They they are saying that would not happen uh, right away. But yeah, so that's the other side of recycling that we don't talk about, right? Again, we keep talking about recycling contamination. Why is this a problem? I mean, those materials aren't going to be usable. You're not going to be able to sell it to anybody, right? These recycling locations are not magically turning your recyclables into new materials right there they are selling them to companies that are going to produce new things for them they can't do that if there's no market they can't do that if they're too contaminated to be useful so that's why to me and like so you were saying somebody might say oh if i'm good at recycling anyway what do i need this for because it doesn't honestly matter how good you are at recycling if your neighborhood is not good at recycling you know, so the, your next door neighbor is, you know, throwing all of their plastic bags into their recycling bin and none of anybody's stuff is getting recycled because that the system is, that's just how it's set up and it's not set up to deal with a lot of contamination. So I, that's, I love both of these things because I think they're both the EPR and this, this idea for this product which is still, you know, fairly early on in development, but I think they are trying to solve. I just, I like the creativity of it. I like that they're looking at different ways to solve these problems. And it does make me happy because it just, like we talked about in our hope and conservation, you know, things are changing. People are working on things. People are trying to find solutions to problems. I am not, once again, I am not personally recommending this lasso loop product. I'm just excited to learn about it and see where it goes it's Invest gonna be ex- all your cash yeah, <laughs> don't do that <laughs> this is not what i'm saying <laughs> disclaimer um and in fact speaking of money it is going to be expensive we don't sure. have a price on it yet but there i think the website was saying uh anywhere from like 3500 to 4500 dollars for this so this device. is some rich people so this is for right wealthy people and they do acknowledge that. And there are, I have seen people already ripping them apart for that. 
you know, I think part of this is just, this is the capitalistic world we live in and, you know, this is how things start and hopefully it will become more cost-effective. You know, they're talking about maybe having like a rental option down the line and that sort of thing as well. Well, what if you went to like your local library and they Mm -hmm. had one of these machines there? It's like community. Yeah sort of project and that would be another yeah they do address some of those they had have a lot of in their FAQs section they have a lot of questions about why don't why wouldn't you look at putting these in apartment complexes or hospitals or restaurants and there are some complications to doing it that way both just in terms of I think public perception and reception but also uh, it does need access to water so it's going to need Gotcha. Like a dishwasher, I think sort of access to plumbing and that sort of thing uh, for it to work because it's going to basically clean these items as well. Um, So there are some of that type of accessibility issue as well, but who's to say what future iterations will be. And I think they do intend to try to get them in public places at some point in the future, if all, if all goes well. So these are both, I think, very hopeful sort of pieces, Sarah. Some other things that are happening that are going to be, I think, a necessary part of our future. We are having, starting to have some single-use plastic bans. Um, The EU, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more at length because I didn't read enough articles to know the (laughs) details, but they're putting in place some restrictions on Mm -hmm. things like plastic cutlery, which is typically not recyclable at all, and other like cups and things like that. Actually, when a, a local township around me just banned plastic bags, and last time I went to the grocery store, we had, I had asked if they were accepting reusable bags because they had a bagger there, and with COVID, some places decided not to let people bring in their bags, and they said, yeah, and in fact, we're pretty sure they're going to not let us use plastic bags at all pretty soon, so she anticipated that people would be angry about this, and I don't doubt the, um, the rage of people in retail and food establishments. Um, but I mean, I also don't think that that's an unexpected thing. I think that we're public tide is shifting that more of those things are going to become commonplace. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the pros and cons of reusable bags and whether or not, you know, some of our alternatives more sustainable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's lots of those questions to address, but We also can't continue to live in a culture where we are constantly consuming things that are disposable. So it's exciting to see options where we're starting to move away from disposable and starting to make the recycling more accessible and more community oriented and putting the pressure on the producers. Like all of these things are exciting. Yeah. 100%. Love it. And that's what I got this week for, for this mini. So I, I had, I think maybe we should end on like top recycling tips maybe because these things aren't in place right now. Yeah. I love that. What would be like one recycling tip that you would have for people? Given the amount that we talked about contamination, I knew I will hear this. This sounds counterintuitive to what you would want to do, but I hear this from my friends that work in the recycling industry. When in doubt, throw it out. If you are not sure if it is recyclable, do not put it in your recycling bin. This is a phenomenon called wish cycling that people want it to be recyclable. Again, they're trying to do the right thing. They want to help out. So they will, if they think that it might be recyclable, they will put it in their recycling bin. That hurts more than it helps. So that's going to be my top tip for today is when in doubt, throw it out. 
yeah, following up on that, I was part of my sustainability, um, uh, part of school in, <laughs> in college. And we talked about if like, if 10% of the things in the recycling bin were not recyclable, the whole thing's not getting recycled. So yeah. if nine, you know, that's the problem. One of my things would be, I guess I have two, one check to see the numbers on the plastic, um, and see if your local place accepts them Yes. and two wash it out. Yes. It doesn't have to be perfectly clean, but you can't have like a yogurt container with 20% of the yogurt in there. Um, not only is it going to smell in your house, like wash it out, but like, just at least give it a rinse. It needs to be mostly, it needs to be mostly plastic. So that would be my top recycling tip. That's a really good tip. And I will bounce off of your check the numbers and check and make sure that number is recyclable. Remember we said this in our plastics episode, but that those little, the, what we think of as the recycling symbol symbol with the three chasing arrows, the presence of that symbol does not make it recyclable in your curbside recycling. So you have to look at that number inside. And, and remember that like some things are certain pieces. So I talked about like yogurt, the film on the outside often is not recyclable, but the actual cup is. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there's a little bit of work involved, but it's, you know, that's what these things are starting to address is how do we reduce the amount of work? Why can't they just print the label on the dang cup instead of having the plastic film? I don't know, but they're going to get charged for it now, which is cool. (laughs) I love it. Cool. Well, thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the mini-sode. Hope you are having a good week. I know I did too. This always makes me happier whenever we get to hang out. So Uh, If you would like to get in touch with us, whether you have information about your local EPR situation, plastic bans, thoughts on longer episodes versus mini-sodes, thoughts (laughs) on future topics, any of those things, you have a number of ways that you can find us. We are on Facebook at A Little Greener Podcast. We are on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod, and you can send us an email at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. Say hi. Tell us we're wrong about things we're wrong about (laughs) or tell us that we're great. We're doing a great job too. Everybody, (laughs) we all need that a little bit these days. And if you think so, rate and review, because that also helps people find us too. share the pod, whatever you can do. We're going to be back to you soon with uh, longer episodes again with reviews I got stuff uh, I have thoughts about, so you're going to (laughs) hear. Yay. (laughs) All right, guys. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe.